Do you like what you're hearing right now? Then be sure to check out VOC Nation. Whether it's on VOCNation.com or your favorite podcast provider, VOC Nation offers the greatest in live and on-demand content, great interviews, and incredible insight from those who have lived the business. Seven days a week, VOCNation.com. And don't forget to check us out on Twitter at VOCNation. Welcome to another edition of Bumps and Thumps, the talk of wrestling. I'm Brian Ferguson. My guest today is a returning guest. He is a wrestling historian, has done many podcasts. I want to welcome back Mr. George Shire. George, thanks for coming back on. Thank you, as always. It seems like we do this uh, quite often, but it's so much fun. Thank you. It is. I enjoy it as well. Um, Today... Uh, just to let the fans know, we have no pre-questions or pre-subject. Uh, I just asked George to come on the other day, yesterday, actually. It was yesterday. And uh, he agreed to. So we want to talk today. I want to talk today about something that's kind of a lost art or a lost in the wrestling business. And that's masked superstars and i'm not talking about the mass superstar i'm talking about masks in general uh they seem to have been they're gone i mean i think of only one person right now that has it and that's ray mysterio and he is off and on so much that uh i think it's a lost art now you're a historian you've studied this business for many years and i want to kind of get into the origin of these masks and how it kind of came about. So if you could kind of tell us a little bit about how the mask uh, came into the wrestling business and and how it kind of progressed. Well, I think you touched on it, Brian, when you said that uh, it's sort of a lost art, Uh, something that certainly other with the exception of Rey Mysterio uh, in today's uh, WWE, and uh, it, it's, it's lost because, and I mean, let's be honest about this. It's lost because kayfabe is dead. Yeah. Uh, the, whole, the whole concept of a mass wrestler, way back in the beginning, even before television, we had masked marvels and, you know, a promoter would come up with some guy with some crazy name. I mean, as many different... Uh, wrestlers as there have been there have probably been as many masked wrestlers through the through the decades for the past 60 70 years and and the only way a promoter could get away with it was because the fans did not know and had no way of finding out who that guy was under the mask you know you and i've talked in the past how oh boy what could happen in minneapolis you know Tomorrow night in St. Louis, the two guys that were in a cage match tonight in Minneapolis were probably tag team partners tomorrow night in St. Louis. And the promoters could pull this off. But, you know, in today's world, with the fast paced uh, news that we get, I mean, before it could happen, it would be all over the Internet. It would be all over the tweets and whatever else there's out there, social media. And there's just no way to keep a secret. So the whole idea, a promoter, their, their job 
back in the old days, their job was to literally come up with something that is going to entice the fans to want to come to see their car. And if they came to a town every month or every couple of months, a lot of towns, as you know, you and I have talked, they ran every week. Yeah. And so they had to come up with a, a gimmick, something that would draw the fans. And that's usually where that, let's put a hood, they call it a hood, a mask, whatever. But let's put a hood on so-and-so and, -so and uh, we'll concoct some story, some storyline behind them. And there you go. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because I also, when I was doing a little research on this, uh, some internet sites consider like, face paint uh, as a mask. Uh, I, I don't. I think it's it's kind of a mask, but it really isn't because it's face paint. You know, you can if they start sweating, it kind of comes off, so you can kind of see who they are. Uh, do you agree with that? Well. I think when you mentioned the face paint, you know, the first thing I thought of when you said that was for me, the face paint, it really the first two guys that I recall kind of doing it was the road warriors. Yeah. And so you're going back to the early eighties. They were different in the sense that uh, they, yeah, they put on the face paint and, and that became their gimmick along with the rest of their whole mystique that they had. But um, you're right. Once that face paint, you're in the match for 10 minutes and you're sweating profusely. You know, it's running and getting on your opponent's chest and so on. So, yeah, the face paint was never a mask. The original masks, you know, and it was funny. I, I did. I thought of a bunch of names as you and I've been chatting here for a few minutes and I put a few of them down. I can list names of wrestlers from the kayfabe era. And then I think about it at the top of my head and I go, well, holy cow, I don't even need to, to, to write them down. I can think of, you know, Dick Byer and Bill Miller and hard-boiled Haggerty and Bill Eady. And those are just for starters. And then you think about guys like uh, Bill Irwin, Scott Irwin, uh, Art Nielsen. And Jim Osborne and Don Jardine and Bob Remus and Lynn Denton yep. and Joe Hamilton and Dick Murdoch and Tom Andrews. You kind of get where I'm going with this. Oh. Some of these names, if you're a follower of, yep. say, the uh, 50s, 60s, 70s, mm -hmm. just those names alone were yeah. huge in the yeah. business. Yeah. Some of them were huge without a mask. Yep. And some were even more huge with a mask. And some were huge again when the mask came off. I mean, these were superstars. A lot of times it wasn't some unknown. You just pulled some guy out of the audience and said, we're going to put a hood on you and call you, you know, the, the greatest wrestler in the world. No, it didn't happen that way. Yeah. And so um, probably as we continue to talk here, we'll, we'll touch on some of the wrestlers and somehow some of their gimmick came about. Yeah. And what it meant to a promotion. And believe me, we had good guys and we had bad guys as mass wrestlers. We did. Yes. I want to talk about that a little bit uh, more detail. So you mentioned Bob Ramos, Sergeant Slaughter. Yeah. Uh, he was a uh, spoiler. Mark II, I believe. Is that correct? Uh, Super Destroyer. Oh, Super Mark Destroyer. I'm Super sorry. Destroyer Mark II. Okay. I'm sorry. My apologies. Yeah. No, no. No, 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 that's, that's perfectly good. 
Yeah. Um, go ahead. I, I was going to say that, you know, a lot of those mask guys that I remember as a kid were, were, were bad guys, were the heels for the most part. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, there are a few uh, like Patriot, uh, Lynn, uh, Del Wilkes, Del Wilkes. Uh, there was, there was some, but, uh, I just remember like, uh, the mass superstar, Bill Eady, uh, later demolition, uh, acts. Bill, Bill Eady. Yeah. Bill Eady. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when they were in the territory, like you said, they come in now, tell us a little bit about, you know, they didn't want to maybe maybe recognize sometimes if they were a well-known wrestler already and they wanted to wrestle another territory. I mean, how did that kind of work for them? Well, I think because you mentioned Bill Eady, I'll kind of bring this around and come come sure. back to him, okay? I've never went around the circle before, have I? <laughs> no, never. <laughs> um, I'm going to use Big Bill Miller, okay. Dr. Bill Miller. Um uh, Dr. Bill Miller, certainly at six foot five or six, whatever he was, legit, and a big, you know, close to a three pound, hundred pound guy. He had a, an amateur background in wrestling from Ohio. He, um, he was a huge wrestler in the 50s, huge being pun intended, but also he was huge at the gate as big Bill Miller or Dr. Bill Miller. And the doctor came in because he actually went to veterinary school and and he was a licensed veterinarian. And he relied on that practice after he got out of business. But as a wrestler, he was the real deal. And he could draw money as Big Bill Miller. So if I use my own Minneapolis territory, just for an example, in the 50s, Bill Miller came through the territory And again, in those days, it was NWA territory. But Bill Miller came through the territory, always working a main event, always renowned for his credentials as being a great amateur turned professional. And he was a big draw. And he was always a rival to some guy called Vern Gagne. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So Bill was over. And it wasn't just here. He was over in California. He was over in Texas. He was over, you know, wherever he went, Big Bill Miller was a, a top name. Well, in Omaha in 1958, uh, promoter Joe Dusick decided that, you know, we're going to just shake things up a little bit. Bill Miller hadn't been around for a long, long time. Yeah. And we all know that fans have, yes, I'm, this isn't insulting, trying to insult. We all know that fans can have short memories or no memories at all when it comes to wrestling sometimes. Yeah. So a guy could be gone for three, four years and you've got your audience changes. You, you've got your regular fans, but the overall audience is cyclical and they'll move on to do other things in life. And so you've got new fans. So he decided he was going to come up with Bill Miller and he's going to come up with a a mascot. And he put a mask on Bill Miller and he became Dr. X in Omaha. And he was over huge again. Now, the whole idea behind it was the best build up to this type of a gimmick was 
The promoter claimed he didn't know who the guy was. He didn't know his name. He didn't know where he came from. They could only bill him as weighing in at, we don't know his weight. We don't know where he comes from. Parts unknown. And he's Dr. X. So Bill Miller goes a couple years, you know, dissing opponents, beating the who's who of the business, all the greats, Wilbur Snyder and Bernd Gagne and others, you know, of the time, Edward Carpentier and all these guys keeping his mask. The biggest part of the gimmick was, is that most of those guys in that era that put on a mask, when asked by an announcer or the promoter, who are you or why are you masked? And their usual answer often used was, if I took off this mask and the other wrestlers saw who I was, they wouldn't face me in matches. So in order to get the top matches, I have to put this mask on. In other words, you don't know who I am. The guessing game. Right. And as a heel, it worked great for the audience because with the right publicity, the promoter can come out and claim, I don't know who the guy is, but we're going to find out. And I got so-and-so here that's going to be the next opponent. And he's going to, I think he's got a good chance of revealing who it is. But by promoting it that way, the fans get curious. You know, just who is this guy? Mm-hmm. Well, now we want to know who he is. Yeah. And the, the whole idea, too, is most of these masked wrestlers would come out with the idea that or the comment that I won't take this mask off unless I'm beaten two submission falls or two pinfalls. And otherwise, my mask isn't coming off. And then during the match, you know, if a, if a uh, good guy was pulling the mask up a little bit or something, technically that was equivalent to pulling hair or doing any of those things. The okay. referee would usually protect it because his mask wasn't on the line. Then there were times, too, when we're going to do anything we can to get this guy at mast. You always had that lure of the crowd. And so Big Bill Miller went uh, 58 and 59 and a little bit of 1960 as Dr. X. He was eventually unmasked, revealed as Dr. Bill Miller. And, oh, my God, how come we didn't know that? You know, geez, you know. And. And, and, and the, the fun thing, too, was is in those days with all of the territories as they were, Bill Miller could wrestle in Omaha. And Omaha, when I say Omaha, I'm talking all of Nebraska. So there yeah. were, there, there's other shows in other cities. But Omaha was the, the promotion city. So Bill Miller could be wrestling in St. Louis not affiliated with Ohio or with uh, Omaha and he's wrestling as Bill Miller or he might go into Texas and he wrestles as Bill Miller while he's Dr. X up in Omaha. So for back in those days, nobody had a way to find out. And because kayfabe was so prevalent, yeah, nobody spoke out. So his secret was safe. Well, when he, when he was unmasked, he was Dr. Bill Miller. And then he had another year. He had another uh, he was in Omaha till about 61, still wrestling as Bill Miller now. And uh, he held the Omaha version of the world heavyweight title. 
okay. which was which which was not affiliated at all with the later AWA title. Okay. Oh, okay. okay. Although, although you will see, um, there is a picture out, or there's a couple pictures that I have of Bill Miller wearing Vern Gagne's belt. Okay. But it's not the AWA belt. Okay. It's the Omaha version of the world, world title. title. Okay, makes sense. Makes sense. Well, so Vern had success. He saw success with with Miller doing the gimmick of the mask. And in 1962, uh, Vern, being a good friend with Bill Miller, they wrestled each other in the past. He told Bill, he says, I want to bring you into Minneapolis, which was now the AWA territory. Mm -hmm. He says, I want to bring you into Minneapolis. And Minneapolis, again, being the office for the, for the AWA, okay? okay? So it's the territory. Bring you into Minneapolis, and uh, we're going to put a mask on you, and uh, we'll call you Mr. M. Okay? So there we have it. We have this new super secret. And, and Bill Miller, by that time in Minneapolis, had not wrestled here until uh, since, uh, I think it was probably 58, 57. So he hadn't appeared here, so yeah. nobody knew who he was. And then he starts to gimmick all over. Wow. Amazing how that, you couldn't do that. Well, you, it'd be very hard to do it now if you did it like that. That's the, the bad. Well, you have to remember, and I know we touch on this a lot, but yeah. um, everything in wrestling in that era was a secret for starters. Mm -hmm. And we didn't know that wrestlers were, you know, opponents one night and, and rivals the next in a different town or different city or different territory. Mm -hmm. And it just never got out. Yeah. Um, you know, promoters could do just about anything. And, and the guy 50 miles to the town next to him isn't going to find out about it because yeah. the news. This is one of the marvels that I have of when I say I got 71 looking at me in, in another few weeks here. So, wow. but, but I'm I'll say I'm still 70. OK, OK, I'm just I'm still young. Yes, you are. Uh, <laughs> but one of the marvels for me is that. I remember when I was a kid, you always, you hear some, some old guy down the block talking, you know, back when I was a kid, you know, or the way things are changed today, or your grandpa's doing it or your uncle's doing it. But the joy of getting older is that you really do see how 70 years of advancement. Yeah. And so in the fifties, the sixties, the seventies, and even up to in the eighties, we didn't have cable television. Mm -hmm. We certainly didn't have internet. Yep. We still had a morning newspaper that was our primary source of news if you got the morning newspaper. Yep. And Lord knows that, you know, the newspapers, I mean, with but the rarest exceptions, the news was hours, hours late by the time you received it in your hand. It had already happened. Yeah. But we just didn't have any outlet to find out what happened in another town, whether it be a newsworthy item or whatever it was. And then, and this is something I, I always stress, television, which was so important to getting a wrestling 
program off and yeah. running and to be successful, you had to have TV, but you had your little outlet of television where the only people that saw it was the town the television station was in or the mm -hmm. little surrounding area of it, you know, yeah. the smaller towns. So, and we know that back in my era, television was still in its infancy through the fifties. Yeah. We had uh, four television stations in Minneapolis. We had channel four, which was a CBS affiliate. We had channel five, which was at that time, it was a ABC affiliate, American Broadcasting Company. Uh, we had NBC, which was channel nine. And we had an independent station. The independent station being just a local station that ran local programming, kiddie shows, you know, old Westerns and uh, had a little local newscast, but that was it. Yeah. That was our, and the key thing was, is that the, the news with those four stations was six o'clock in the evening for a half hour. And at 10 o'clock before you went to bed, they, most of the stations had a 10 o'clock newscast covering yeah. local news. Your only national news coverage in those days was usually around 5.30 to 6 mm -hmm. in our market and in most markets around the country where you'd get the national scope, you know, what's happening in Washington and the fire that took place in Texas. And, and that was it. Yeah. So that along with the newspaper, that was it. That's yeah. all we knew. Now today, because we've had technology explode on us and the internet and the cable and everything, um, you've got 24 seven news. You've got 200, 300 channels on TV that are all devoted to news, so-called news, whether it's fake news or whatever it is, it's being advertised as, you know, up to the minute. Our local TV stations, just alone right now in the Twin Cities, every one of our, our uh, four channels that we have, the local channels, that's non-paper for uh, cable channels, we have from 4.30 in the morning until seven o'clock in the morning, we have news. You wake up to the news, the traffic, the weather, the news, all four channels. And then you go to the national news at seven o'clock for another hour. And then you have a nine o'clock hour where all of them have their nine to 10 news. And then we have an 11 o'clock hour with news on TV. Yeah. And then we have noon hour news. You gotta, you gotta be up to date. Yeah. And then we've got four o'clock news, five o'clock news, six o'clock news. One station also does it at 6.30. And then we've got sometimes seven o'clock. Then we've got our 10 o'clock news. Not to mention, you can go to any of the cable channels that are news related. And you've got news. We've got one station that's 24-hour news. Yeah. And all night on our local stations, they don't even put a program on anymore. They put a national news hookup. So... What can happen in the world that we're not instantly, instantly aware of? Yeah. So try to pull off a mask guy today. Talking about Bill Eady. See, I told you I'd get back to it. All right. I'm stepping off my soapbox on television. <laughs> okay. uh, Bill Eady. Yep. Bill Eady was one of the premier, in my opinion, one of the premier and really 
one of the most underrated of the masked wrestlers while he was masked superstar. Uh, had the gimmick down perfectly. Yeah. He had the, the he had the look. He had the the build. He had the voice. He was good on the mic. And who is he? That was we at, when he was doing the masked gig. We were still able. That was he was at the end of where we could still pull that off. Yeah. Who is he? We don't know who he is. Yeah. And then, you know, this was in the later eighties. It's time where things changed kind of quick. Yeah. wrestling changed and you yeah. know the mask wouldn't work but he had he had a great career it wasn't yeah. like he needed that mask to get over because he started in the business wrestling as bolo mongo along with uh gito or it was gito mongo who was originally with um nikolai volkov okay. who was who was beppo mongo gito and beppo were the first two mongos in the WWWF. And that was a great gimmick in itself. You had two guys that uh, came out from Mongolia or wherever they were supposed to be with their heads shaved and a spout, a spout of hair. And, and uh, they were kind of, you know, unorthodox. And uh, uh, Tatry Newt, Newton, kind of a hard name to say. He was Gito Mongo. And he'd had this he was wrestling as Newton for a lot of years mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, mediocre guy on the cards come up with this Mongol idea and it took off, put uh, Beppo with him, his bigger partner, and you had a great success. When Beppo left, he became Nikolai or Nikolai Volkov with WWWF and they brought in Bolo Mongol. Uh, Gito did in another promotion. Okay. So that's where okay. Bill Eady started. That, that was his first start. And then, of course, after that, he went into the mass superstar. And when that gimmick was done, you know, we went, you know, that we, he went into uh, being Vince McMahon's copycat team of Axe and Smash to the Road Warriors at the time. Right. That was his right. attempt. He was trying to duplicate them. And he yeah. put on that paint face paint yes uh act uh, and bill Eady was axe along with smash who had been a russian before that uh yeah. nikita <laughs> uh crusher khrushchev yeah but in reality he was barry darso trained by eddie sharkey in minneapolis you know yeah. he went from a, a minneapolis born guy to a to a russian to uh a mass guy you know it, it worked out really good yeah yeah i remember uh I did a podcast with Barry uh, probably about six months ago now, and he's been a lot of characters. He was a Russian. Yeah. Oh yeah, and he was he, he had others. Repo too. Man, and yes, yes. And, yeah, he was he's a character. I want to talk a little bit about uh, Bill and Scott Irwin when they were masked. Um, I didn't really know that as a kid until later on in life. I knew them mostly as the Long Riders when they were in the AWA. And, uh, I mean, those two guys for their size and their, they had a lot of ability and they gave the road warriors. I remember always a fight. I mean, most of the time the road warriors would go in and pound the crap out of you in five minutes. The match was over for the most part. Yeah. But those guys like Bill and Scott, um, 
were when they were the territories, they were the I don't remember what they were called as the masks. The mass superstars, super destroyers. Okay, super destroyers one and two. Yeah. Um, Tell us a little bit about that, if you would. Okay. Well, first of all, you had two guys, Bill Scott and Bill Irwin, who both had a good wrestling training background. Scott was trained by Vern Gagne. So we know he had to be good. Mm-hmm. And he wrestled as Scott Irwin for a while. Then he went uh, he went out east and he was one of the uh, lumberjacks in the 70s with uh, Vince Sr.'s promotion. Okay. Uh, Scott Irwin and, oh boy, Sergeant uh, LaBeouf or LeBeau or whatever they called him, um, they were the Lumberjacks. And, and they were Eric and Pierre was their names as the Lumberjacks. <laughs> Scott Irwin was Eric. And he had the, the curlier hair a little bit longer and he had the bushier beard. He then went on and became... Thor, the Viking, down in the Florida Territory. Okay. So you'll see some you'll see some results at times that Thor the Viking. Well, that was Scott Irwin. Now Bill Irwin, he was also he had a sound background, being trained by Eddie Sharkey's camp. Okay. So you had two guys, two brothers that didn't come out of the same camp, but definitely, uh, and and Bill was a couple years late after Scott. Yeah. Scott, by the way, came out of the Vern Gagne camp that uh, had Ricky Steamboat, Dick Blood, and uh, uh, Jan Nelson was another one who sadly left us early. But uh, and there was another guy in that camp that we're not going to mention. So uh, you gotcha. can smile. Yeah, yeah I know. Uh, never mention. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so they became a version of the super destroyers down in the WCCW. Okay. And the interesting thing about it at the time, and this is something that I think we really need to touch on about masked wrestlers because of the territories. Mm -hmm. When Scott and Bill were the super D's, we'll just refer to them as in Dallas. And again, that's the office of WCW or WCCW at the time, the Von Eric promotion. Yeah. Um, People would, if you looked, if you looked at a magazine, you'd say, well, gee, the super destroyers down there. And, and then there's super destroyers in, in the mid-Atlantic territory. Well, that wasn't true because the mid-Atlantic super destroyer would have been Don Jardine. Okay. And not the same guy. And uh, that was interesting because Don Jardine also wrestled often as the spoiler. Uh. So you'd think, well, there's two different mask guys, but he interchanged the territories he went to, Jardine did. So Bill and Scott, going back to the Irwins, they were the Super Ds down there. And then Vern brought them up to the AWA as themselves, the Irwins, calling themselves the Long Riders. And they had completely changed their gimmick. I mean, they they now had their, their longer hair for the time. Uh, Scott was called Scott Hogg Irwin, was more like a motorcycle guy at the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was wild Bill Irwin. Yeah. Came in with a bull whip and, <laughs> you know, the overalls they wore. And so they, they got over. But 
that was an example where the, the gimmicks were kind of interchangeable yeah. and they just got done with the mask gimmick and moved on to being themselves. I want to touch on, since I mentioned Jardine. Okay. It was um, Don Jardine was a guy, one of those great journeyman wrestlers who had a lot of names in his career. He usually did fairly decent wherever he went. As Don Jardine, he was butchered. Don Jardine had some great success, main events in some of the territories he was in. And then he became, uh, he went, he was Sonny, uh, Sonny Cooper here in the Twin Cities early okay. in the 60s, kind of a preliminary guy. Um, when he went down to Texas in the early, in the mid 60s, when Fritz von Erich took over the, the promotion down there, I mean, it was Fritz's idea to put a mask on him and call him the spoiler. And it was a great gimmick. Nobody had been called. Well, there was an original spoiler out in California uh, before that. And uh, now his name is escaping me. So let me think. um, I'll think about it. Sure. Jardine. So he had a lot of success as the spoiler. And it was a big secret who he was. But he had Playboy Gary Hart as his manager who supposedly was getting money from mama to pay for the spoiler to be, you know, hide his identity and, and cripple people. And he came up with his own claw hole. The spoiler did. And then they, they created a couple of other spoilers for him around the country in Texas. At the time he had spoiler number two, which was a guy that was wrestling previously as smasher Sloan, pretty big guy. And uh, he was spoiler number two. When, when Jardine took the spoiler gimmick to uh, the, the Florida area, he had a couple of spoiler number twos that were under the mask. One was Killer Carl Cox, who was a big name in the business. So you say, why does Killer Carl Cox need a, need a mask? In? That's just making money under a different name and nobody knows. Yeah. He also had um, Bobby Duncan was one of the spoiler number twos down there. Ah, now think, now think about that. He's a big, big uh, bad Bobby Duncan. Yeah. And that was, yeah. And that was uh, uh, in between his stints with us here in the yeah, NWA. Cities, yeah. 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 Wow. So he was spoiler number two for a while down there. When uh, the spoiler, Don Jardine, took the gimmick to the Mid South Bill Watts group in the uh, early 70s, he had a, in the mid set, was closer to the mid 70s, he had a, um, Another spoiler, number two. And the guy under that mask was Buddy Wolf. Ah. Another another big name yeah. who, you know, put the hood on for a while. So the spoiler, though, his gimmick was he was never going to unmask because that was how he made his money. A, a gimmick similarly used or, or a reason similarly used by Dick Byer, which we'll talk about in a second. Yep. Yeah. But... Jardine was not going to unmask. Coincidentally enough, he in the early 70s, he was going to, he got contacted by Vince Sr. to come into WWWF. They had some goofy law in New York. And it was a law by the State Athletic Commission where a guy couldn't work under a mask. The wrestlers had to be, uh, you know, seen. Yeah. So Jardine actually went in and he worked for a year and a half, two years as the spoiler in New York and surrounding cities without his mask. Wow. And if you look at pictures, same guy's got the claw 
but he's got his he's got his Ebora beard often. And uh, he was the spoiler. Never revealed that his name was Don Jardine, but he was the spoiler. And then after that stint with Vince Sr. was over, he went back to being the spoiler again with the mask. Wow. When he went to the to the Mid-Atlantic, maybe, I don't know, they didn't want the spoiler, so they brought in the Super Destroyer. Okay. And that was Jardine. Ironically, I'm going to bring that around to Minneapolis because when Vern brought Jardine in, in the mid seventies as the super destroyer. Yeah. Eventually Vern, after it was a year, year and a half, whatever it was, um, Vern decided, and again, the promoters, they had rule. He went to Jardine and he told him he thought that the time came that he should be unmasked. Mm-hmm. Story goes, Jardine disagreed. He claimed that he hadn't gotten over enough yet, or he hadn't had time to get the character over. And he said, I'm not unmasking. Well, Vern said, well, yes, you are. You know, this, remember, I'm the boss. And Jardine left. They did announce that the Crusher unmasked him. This was how they handled his leaving. They announced that the Crusher had unmasked the, the Super Destroyer, and they revealed his name as Don Jardine, and he was gone. But Vern was in a pickle because he had Lord Alfred Hayes, who, had, who was managing Jardine as Super Destroyer, and they had contracts already signed or matches already signed with cities. And so Vern put in an emergency phone call to Bob Remus uh. and asked him to get a mask and come on in, and we're going to have you fulfill these dates. And that's where Bob Remus came in as Super Destroyer Mark II. And Hayes come out and claimed that this Super Destroyer is not only bigger, he's stronger, he's better, you know, than the original. And we had Mark II. So that's how Remus got it. It was totally something that happened. And Remus got the emergency call. And it, it skyrocketed for him. Now, Remus had been wrestling around the country at that point. And remember, he's a Ganya graduate as well. Yeah. He, he graduated from the camp in 70, uh, 74 yeah. as Bob Remus wrestled on AWA cards. And he wrestled around the Central States Territory, the Pacific Northwest Territory. He wrestled as uh, some different names. He wrestled as... Uh, uh, Bob Slaughter, before he became Sergeant Slaughter, he wrestled as Bob Slaughter, wrestled as Remus, he wrestled as Butcher Slaughter, and then he wrestled as the Super Destroyer, or, uh, yeah, he was the Super Destroyer a little bit in Kansas City, right around the same time he was doing the Mark II thing for Vern, so he he did well with it, and that was how that, that transition came about. I got to meet Sergeant Slaughter, Bob Remus in Dallas back in um, late, late March, early April. Nice guy. Really nice guy. And uh, I know we're getting off topic a little bit, but I wanted to tell you that he told me, he asked me where I was from. I told him I was born and raised in Rice Lake, Wisconsin. He says that was my very first match yeah. with, with uh, Playboy <laughs> Buddy Rose. It wasn't Playboy Buddy Rose then, but he said that was, was Playboy Buddy Rose. Paul Pershman. Yep, Paul Pershman. Yep. And I was just like, that's the second person I've met that had their first match. The other one was Ric Flair. Mm-hmm. His first match was in Rice Lake, Wisconsin, with George Scrap Iron 
so I was just, yeah, yeah I was, my town at one time was kind of the wrestling, breaking in the new wrestlers that became famous, I guess. Yeah, well, that's that's a good story. And, you know, you can, you got something that. in common there. Yeah. You know, I, I wanted to touch on the reason I brought the spoiler thing up too, and I was going to yeah. uh, move that into like Dick okay. Byer, for example. Sure. But the spoiler, sometimes these guys, I think they they took themselves too seriously or they didn't give enough credit for the fact that, you know, they could get over with or without the mask. Mm -hmm. Now, in the case of Jardine, he actually told Vern Gagne that I don't want to unmask as Super Destroyer because it's going to destroy my career, that I'm making my money with this mask. Well, the irony of it is that as the spoiler he wrestled without that mask in New York. He wrestled without that mask before Fritz von Erich dubbed him the spoiler. And he, he did fine. He was a main event wrestler. He made money. So him saying to Vern that, you know, it's going to ruin my career if I get unmasked right now or whatever. I, there was no, there was no uh, rationale for that because again, these guys in the territory days had that luxury of if you can't make money here, you just move to the next territory and you make money there. Yeah. And you got a whole new audience, people that don't know you, people that didn't see that you were unmasked or didn't know your name or whatever it was. Which leads me to Dick Beyer. I think, and you know, I've told you he's my favorite wrestler of all time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so if it comes across as I'm a little bit uh, biased, I don't know, biased. Yeah, <laughs> maybe a little bit. But let me just say this. Dick Byer was as legitimate a wrestler as you could come up with. The real deal when he was Dick Byer wrestling in the 50s, all the way up to 1962. And when he did, when he started the mask gimmick as the destroyer, we all know the stories that it happened almost purely by accident. He had been contacted in, uh, he was in Hawaii wrestling as Dick Byer. Mad Dog, Vashon was down there. And Mad Dog had pretty much told uh, Jewel Strongbow in California that you got a guy down in Hawaii that is, would make a great heel. You should bring him in, meaning Dick Byer. Mm-hmm. And so the, the contact was made. Buyer was going to go into Los Angeles. And Dick even went out and had a bunch of promo pictures taken, publicity shots, mm-hmm. um, as a heel persona, you know, kind of snarling in the face and whatever. And he goes into Los Angeles. And literally uh, the night of the day of his match, his debut match, he's told, well, I don't want Dick Buyer. We're going to put the mask on you and we're going to call you the destroyer. And that's how that all came about. Wow. And Dick, you know, Dick at the point at that point, like, was seriously like, the hell you are. What? You know, <laughs> what the hell's going on? You know, so he wore this stupid gunny sack burlap type burlap type material mask thing that the promoter gave him. And Dick has Dick, Dick had described it as being itchy. It was uncomfortable. He couldn't see out of it. And he, he did the match. 
went back to the locker room afterwards and he threw the damn thing on the floor and he said, that's it. I'm never, that's it. I'm done. And Ox Anderson, who was sitting in the locker room, reached in his duffel bag, pulled out this mask, stretchy material, which was similar to what the destroyer mask looked like. Mm-hmm. Said, try this, Dick. Dick tried it on. And uh, he said, yeah, this fits. This I could breathe in this. And so rest of the story, he went over to the Woolworths and the, you know, all the Woolworths in town bought up the, the girdle material. His yeah. wife made this out of the ladies' girdles, true story, and the destroyer was born. From that day on, uh, the destroyer would not unmask. That was part of his contract. He went into promoters and he said, I'll come into your territory, but I'm not unmasking. My mask is not part of the deal. And if you want me to come in as Dick Byer or you want me to unmask, I'm not doing it. End of story. Because he drew so well, so well yeah. with that mask on and with that gimmick yeah, um, and playing the gimmick that, you know, I'll never be unmasked. And so he was taunting not only the supposedly his fellow wrestlers, but taunting the fans as a heel. Um, this went on for seven or for five years. And we get to 67, 1967. And uh, Vern Gagne says, I want you to come into Minneapolis. And Dick says, well. I'm willing to come in. And, and Vern actually wrestled the Destroyer in Chicago. Okay. Destroyer had been working for Indianapolis WWA Bruisers as the Destroyer. And Vern had a match with him. Vern wrestled him. He liked what he saw. And Dick was a great worker. I mean, he could work with, he could work scientific match. He could work a grueling match, a brutal match, be a heel, whatever. Mm-hmm. And Vern says, I want you to come in to Minneapolis. And Dick says, well, you know, I, I'm not unmasking. I, I'll be happy to come in, but the mask is part of the deal. And Vern says, well, I would want you to unmask when it's time to leave. And most promoters did want that. Yeah. But Dick, that was part of his deal. So Vern says, well, yeah, I'd watch it unmask. And Dick says, well, then, you know, we're done talking. So they came up with the idea of a different masked man. Okay. And a, and a different identity. Dr. X. And this was, this was a different Dr. X now. So Vern agreed that he would come in as Dr. X. Whole new outfit, whole different mask, not anything even close to the destroyer mask. We'd have a whole new background created for him. And he comes in as this masked man who again used the scenario that I had to put this mask on because all the big boys in the business were dodging me. I'm not able to get the top matches. I'm not able to get championship matches. So I got the mask on and my mask will not be taken off unless I'm beaten two submission falls or two pin falls. And that was the gimmick. The whole idea where they agreed that when it was time for Dick to leave, Dick agreed that he would unmask. And in doing that, he saved his destroyer identity because the destroyer was never unmasked. Right. So that was a really unique scenario on yeah. how they worked around it. Yeah. And Dick agreed to it. Very creative. Uh, I would say when, very creative minds back then. Very creative. And then when he left the AWA, Dick had given his notice that he wanted to leave for a year. He was going to go back wrestling as the destroyer. And he booked a world tour 
he was in Australia, New Zealand. He was in uh, uh, India and Germany, and he went to Japan. He, he literally booked all this himself as the destroyer. And he took his family. They were going to travel for a year. So he unmasked for Vern in a couple of matches and was revealed in three of the unmaskings as Bruce Marshall. Bruce Marshall. Made up name. <clears throat> Made up name. And of course, everybody, oh, who's, who's Bruce Marshall? Never heard of it. You know, they, they just paid three years or two, yeah, three years to see this guy. And when you take his mask off, well, who is he? I still don't recognize it, you know, only in St. Paul. And you and I talked about this, I'm sure, on a previous show. He was revealed as Dick Byer. Yeah. But to most of the fans in attendance, it meant nothing. He left for a whole year. Dick Byer was never mentioned again. And when he came back after that year's absence, he was again Dr. X, came back as a heel, but very quickly, within a month or two, was transitioned into a good guy. Now it was unique because most everyone had forgotten that he had been unmasked. They never talked about it anymore. And if they did see him unmasked, they didn't remember his name and they never talked about the name. And when he came back, he was just Dr. X. And when he became a good guy, nobody wanted to see him unmasked because that was, he was, he was Dick by, or he was Dr. X, a good guy. Guy. When the ref, when the opponent would pull on his mask, the, the fans would be telling to the ref, they're pulling his mask, ref, they're pulling his mask. <laughs> you know, so the gimmick worked completely in reverse. And then yeah. for another year or two, he was a good guy in the AWA as Dr. X. After that, he went over to Japan for six years oh, wow. as the destroyer. Was there wow. six full years. And um, the reason he was there for six years, they worked out this unique gimmick. I, I'm going to off track here. Go for something it. new, something new, right? Yeah, no. <laughs> well, he was he was over there working for Giant Baba, Shohei Baba, and they, Dick was the heel. Well, they had a match with each other where if Dick lost, he had to team with Baba going forward and be his partner. It worked out. It was great. For the next six years, Dick was the greatest babyface in the world over there. He was part of the Japanese crew. And uh, at the end, he's, he retired over there as the greatest hero of mass wrestlers in Japan. So, yeah. One more question for you. Actually, two. One is, what is your, the grabbler, Len Denton? Yeah. I read his book. I don't know if you've ever read it. I, I've got it. I've read it. Oh, my gosh. It is one of the best books I've ever read. I mean, I couldn't. I mean, the way he wrote that book, it's like you're there. Yeah. I I don't know how you do that, but he wrote it like you were like right there. And uh, very, to me, underappreciated. I kind of remember him. But I was pretty young when he was around. I mean, I remember him as the Dirty White Boys later on. But as the grabbler, you know, I was pretty young. I don't remember that. But talk talk to me a little bit about him. and and Well, he he had a – he was a little bit later, you know, in the 80s as a wrestler. But he had a – with the grappler, he had a unique gimmick because – he allegedly had one one foot that was or one leg that was a little bit shorter. That was the gimmick. 
and he'd have this loaded boot, so to speak. If you looked at him in the pictures, the soles on his boot, you know, one was this thick and one was this thick. Yeah. And then he and then he had this cane. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then he would use the gimmick where he'd, you know, hit his boot on the on the mat, you know, stomping on it to kind of he's got a foreign object in there, ref. Hey, you know. <laughs> he did really well with the grappler thing. Yeah. And he also had a second grappler that worked with him, a guy named uh, Tony Anthony. Yeah. I think that was his name. Yeah, because they were um, dirty white boys later. Yes. And so, I mean, they were like kind of like the Irwins with doing the Super Destroyer and then the Long Rider yeah. thing where they were able to transition. Yeah. But they worked that the, the, he was he was one of the best mass wrestlers. And, you know, the best mass wrestlers are the ones that had the longevity. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I said earlier in our show that we had good guys and bad guys, we had good guy mass. Yeah. Mil Mascaris. Mascaris, Mascaris. Oh, my yeah. gosh. And he's never been unmasked, but no, he was yeah. a good guy. He, yeah. he drew strictly as a good guy. We had uh, Mr. Olympia, who was Jerry Stubbs. And then I want to touch on the fact that there were mask guys that the fans knew who they were. And they, were, <laughs> they, were, they put the mask on yeah. as part of the gimmick, like Yvaldi Slim. When Dusty Rhodes... That's he true. would the lose a match, a loser leave town or whatever it was, and he'd come yeah. back and calling himself Yavaldi Slim. And the promoters, you know, we don't know who he is, but we can't prove it. Until we prove it, you know, he can still wrestle here. And the fans are loving it. And the opponents are saying, wait a minute, he's double-crossing us. He should be gone. Yeah. Another one that did that was Bruiser Brody. He was ah. uh, Red River Jack. That's right. Yes. Red River Jack. Yes. And, and everybody knew who he was. Except the, the referee and, and the, the promoter. Pro. <laughs> you know, the bad guys knew that he was pulling a fast one over their, their head. <laughs> and uh, so sometimes the masks were used in, in uh, Barry Wyndham did one too. The, wasn't he uh, yellow dog, dirty yellow dog? Dirty yellow dog. And then Jimmy yeah. Valiant did one too. He was Charlie Brown. Yep, Charlie Brown. <laughs> You know, and I mean, everybody knew with that beard, you know, yeah. nine feet long, that it was, you know, everybody but the promoter. So it was, it was, sometimes you wonder how could they not claim that it wasn't yeah. real? Yeah. And I mean, then there were so many guys over the years, I, I mentioned some of them, uh, Stan Pulaski, journeyman, wrestler, one of the all-time great workers and so underrated, Eric Pomeroy, real name. He was Stan Pulaski, Sergey Pulaski, Igor Kelmakov, Stan Vashan. And then under a mask, he wrestled as one of the Infernos. Ah. And the, the Infernos were a great tag. Yeah. Um, Doug Gilbert, the original Doug Gilbert, not the younger kid that came along later. Doug Gilbert was the professional in Atlanta as a heel. You know, with the name the professional, you're automatically arrogant and boasting because you're yeah. calling yourself the professional and he had this mask. Then later he became the professional as a good guy. Yeah. Well, he also at one point in time was under a mask as um, who's the guy we just, the Infernos. Yeah, the he Infernos. also had the Inferno mask on okay. for a while. Yeah. So some of those guys were interchangeable. The wow. Infernos were Curtis and Rocky Smith, two excellent workers. And another one of the Infernos for a while was Frankie Kane, who went on to be the great Mephisto. 
which was kind of a chic ripoff, if yeah. you remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, these yeah. guys, these guys were incredible. Yeah. And uh, man, we could go. Johnny Walker, who wrestled as the grappler early in his career. Yes. As a heel. Yeah. And then he be, he became later on Mr. Wrestling Two. Yep. And one of the greatest stories about Mr. Wrestling Two is that people had seen Johnny Walker wrestle for years as Johnny Walker, as a good guy. Then he was the grappler. And then he was unmasked as Johnny Walker. And then he became Mr. Wrestling number two, which everybody, nobody knew who that yeah. was with Mr. Yeah. Wrestling one, Tim Woods. And he wasn't going to reveal his identity. And he took it so far as to come up with the story that when Jimmy Carter was our president, Jimmy Carter's mother was a great wrestling fan. And she had a picture posed with Mr. Wrestling too. But Mr. Wrestling too said, I refused to trip to the white house because they wanted me to unmask secret service <laughs> and everything. And I refused. I mean, everybody knew what he looked like, but the gimmick worked so good. Yeah. And it went with the storyline. Yeah. Jeff Ports, Gordon Nelson, they wrestled uh, as Mr. X one and two. Talk about two great wrestlers, yeah. wrestlers, wrestlers, Ports and Gordon Nelson. I mean, this is a topic we could we could go on and on, but it is a lost right. gimmick because today it can't be used. That was going to be my last question. Do you think it'll ever come back? No, it can't, Brian. Wrestling yeah. today is so open. Yeah. And, you know, even if you look at and again, you know, I don't follow the modern day product. But yeah. what little I do, the characters switching back and forth, they're good guys, bad guys, this name, yeah. that name, they're this name this week, this day, you know, two months from now, there's somebody else. Yeah. Um, it's so open. And as soon as something, a guy's gone from the territory or he's going to leave and the internet and the observer and, and the torch and all these uh, newsletters, they got him, they've already reported, you know, yeah. there's those, there's no way. And if somebody put a mask on and they tried to say, we don't know where he comes from and he's from that highly populated city of parts unknown, it's not going to work. So we lived, or I lived especially in an era that was truly golden. Yeah. Oh, I, I agree with you hundred percent. I mean, I was a little kid, but it is a lost art and uh, yeah. Well, uh, at the end of there, George, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. George Shire. George, again, sir, thank you for coming on. Always a wealth of knowledge, always finding out new things, and I really appreciate it, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Always. I appreciate your show. All right. And, folks, if you're watching, thank you. If you're listening, thank you. If you haven't subscribed, please do so, and we will talk to you soon. Hey, this is Total Package, Lex Luger. You're listening to the VOC Nation. Don't miss out. Hey, guys, before we get started, I just wanted to read this commercial because it's an agreement that we made with a really great podcast, and I want to tell you guys all about it. Pro Wrestling Interviews, it features guests who are hot indie stars as well as the greats of the ring. Each week, you can join the amazing Velvet as well as Dr. John as they host this jam-packed hour of interviews, pro wrestling news, and entertaining guests. It's an hour you don't want to miss. Trust me, you don't want to miss it. Every Sunday, 9 p.m. Eastern, just go to ProWrestlingInterviews.com, and it'll take you to their Facebook page where you can get the custom podcast link for that week. Don't miss a second of Pro Wrestling Interviews. That's Sunday nights, 9 Eastern, 
ProWrestlingInterviews.com. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network. Check out In The Room. Every Tuesday night at 9. Listen in. Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks, former WCW star Stro Maestro, Kazzy Fist, Matt Grimm. And you know Ray there too, right Ray? We sure are, and we've got great guests like Lex Luger, AJ Styles, Taku, and more. It's a heck of a party. Plus, I didn't get thrown off uh, buildings. And then uh, pregnant. I didn't get pregnant either. Sometimes I think it gets so ridiculous. We were getting into, like, snuff film territory there. In the room. 9 p.m. Eastern on VOC Nation. Yo, this is Jerry Stags of the Nasty Boys. Yeah, Brian Knobs here. You get ready to get nasty. Well, listen to the VOC Nation, baby. VOC Nation is one of the longest-running wrestling podcast networks. Having started way back in 2010, VOC Nation provides daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with their hosts and guests via phone calls, emails, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include former backstage interviewer from both AWA and WWE, Ken Resnick, former WCW performer The Maestro, former Impact performer Wes Crisco, Pro Wrestling Illustrated contributor Brady Hick, and former Philadelphia radio personality Bruce Works. Archive-free content includes past interviews with huge names like Paul Hogan, Jesse Ventura, Kurt Angle, Jimmy Hart, Ricky Steamboat, Sting, Mick Foley, Joey Styles, Howard Finkel, and so many more. Listen live at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all the podcasts by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. And be sure to follow these guys on Twitter at VOCNation. Bill After has been in the pro wrestling business for over 50 years. Hey, talking here with uh, Arn Anderson. Arn, first of all, your height and weight. 6'1", 255. And now subscribers to VOC Nation Premium get exclusive access to Bill After's archived audio footage. And uh, where's your hometown? Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay, and uh, give us something about your back. First of all, your relationship to Ole Anderson. Ole is my Subscription to VOC Nation Premium starts at just $3 a month and includes commercial-free audio and video versions of our top podcasts. Okay, we're speaking here with uh, the manager of the World Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, Tarzan Tyler and Luke Graham, and he's uh, he's sort of glowing tonight about a new prospect we haven't heard of yet. And for just $9 a month, Aptor's archives are all yours. Uh, would you tell us who this new prospect well, is? Well, I'll tell you, Bill, I've searched the world, and I finally <laughs> found the true world champion. I finally found... What's your opinion of uh, Ivan Koloff winning the title from Bruno San Martino? Well, I think, uh, I don't know what to say, but I, I want to say one thing. Uh, Bruno was a hell of a champion. Yeah. Hear exclusive interviews with the greatest performers of all time. This is Bill After, and once again, we're speaking here with Bruno San Martino. Bruno, first of all, how did you and Bruiser lose that title to the Valiants? Well, actually, it was uh, uh, a very unusual loss, if you want to call it a loss. Did didn't have anything to do with this? Well, yes, but the whole thing is this, that the rules, as I always understood them, was that you, the title could only be lost by pin or, or submission, which is the same rules as uh, my title, the World War Wrestling Federation. That night, uh, it was... To sign up, it's very simple. Head to premium.vocnation.com or go to patreon.com slash vocnation. VOC Nation takes you behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's 
WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week, talking dream matches, taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out, VOCNation.com, WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation Radio Network. This is Matt Hardy, and you are listening to the VOC Nation. 